had you always been interested in comedy anyway? Were you into the goons when they were yeah, there? Yeah, absolutely. No television while we were there, but we had Journey into Space and, of course, you know, the goon show. Mm. And I've always said about the goons, it's like the pen is mightier than the budget. You know, you can go anywhere with that yeah. imagination. And Spike's imagination was one, and, and the stupidity of, you know, oh, the sun is hot. Well, don't touch it. You know, I mean, that's, you know, what a complex bunch we are. We sort of, we feel the misery and we have to laugh. This week, I am so lucky to be joined by uh, Laura Grimshaw, who is uh, a radio producer, notably on BBC Radio 4 Extra. She's been involved with uh, special programmes about the likes of Barry Humphreys, Les Dawson, uh, The Bonzos, and Neil Innes. Uh, She's also written for radio and is one of the regular presenters on Podcast Radio Hour. Uh, So Laura and I talked about her love of comedy and classic comedy in particular and where it sits in modern broadcasting. Now, uh, one thing, this was recorded a week uh, before the recent news that Radio 4 Extra is to be moved to BBC Sounds. And after that, its future is unclear, which I'm sure anyone listening to this um, cannot be pleased about. Have a listen. Um, I hope you enjoy the show. So, so Laura, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Oh, it's delightful to be here. Thank you for asking me. Now, right, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, uh, you, you have gone on record as saying that your two favourite things in the world are chips and comedy. <laughs> Where's that from? <laughs> Oh, I've, been, I've been stalking you on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, that's that's probably fair. I mean, I, I think any probably food and comedy, but yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of chips. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a fan of chips. Mm. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, yeah, I, 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 comedy is sort of part of my fundamental being, I think. It's sort of been a lifelong... Uh, fan and into a kind of real nerdy teenage comedy fan and then I've kind of made a career out of it sort of so um yeah mm. it's definitely the the constant in my life is uh finding new things that make me laugh and enjoying them and sharing them okay well okay so we, we won't spend an hour talking about chips we'll, we'll talk about comedy. <laughs> uh, I have lots to say about chips as well I have lots of opinions <laughs> so you say that you, you comedy has been your life. You grew up with comedy. Did you sort of decide from an early age that you wanted to be on the radio or get involved with the production of comedy? Yes, I <laughs> I used to, uh, like a lot of people, uh, I think, uh, a lot of radio people, certainly. I uh, had my own tape recorder and I used to make my own sketch shows and comedy <laughs> shows with mm. one of my friends as like a like an eight year old. So, um, yes, and we used to kind of play 
well, you know, relevant to this, we used to play Goon Show records and Python records and things like that into our sketches. And then we would write our own poor rip-off versions yeah, <laughs> of yeah. things and perform them. Uh, and I have, still have some of those tapes and they will never see the light of day. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, and I, I, there's a press, there's a cutting from my local paper where I, I was in the local paper for some reason. And I was asked what I wanted to do. And I said, I wanted to be a comedy writer and I've not really done the writing bit, although that is a part of my job. Um, it was just, yeah, I, I enjoyed it so much sort of watching it on telly, listening to it on the radio, then going and seeing it live. It was, I just wanted to do that. I wanted to be around those people. It, I knew quite early on that those were my people. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Oh. Hey, th there exists somewhere probably still, there's a tape that I made when I was probably about 10 years old. Um, there was a documentary on TV celebrating 50 years of Donald Duck in the 80s, hosted, <laughs> yeah. by, hosted by Dick Van Dyke. No right. less. <laughs> and, the, and the documentary, there is a point to this, okay? The, docu <laughs> the documentary included uh, interviews, uh, air quotes, interviews between mm. Dick and Donald Duck. And so there'd be sound bites, you know, Donald Duck would be saying stuff. And I taped it, you know, put the tape recorder up close to the TV and recorded the audio of this this show yeah and then and then i would make these sketches myself of me interviewing donald duck yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean oh, I, we, I'm all, we, my hands are going I, all clammy i quite like that that those things happen and like the the, the the you can sort of see the through line from that you can see how that that child became this adult you know i quite like that when you when you hear about that and it's like i like that i I'm an audio producer, radio producer, and I used to make my own radio shows. I yeah. think that's really funny. I think it's really sweet. <laughs> I would, have, I would, I would, I would say that probably everybody working in radio has probably, you know, in their childhood, grown up making their own little yeah. ad hoc. Possibly, with I know the, a lot of people who have. Well, I would, I would say the one exception is probably Bruno Brooks. I don't think he would have bothered, but um, no, possibly not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you mentioned there. Obviously, you you are a, a presenter and producer on uh, Radio Four, Radio Four Extra as well. Um, yeah, and you've been involved in the production of uh, a lot of documentaries and special shows about comedy or, or comedians or comedy uh, outfits, for want of a better yes. word, uh, yeah. such as the Bonzos, uh, Neil Innes. Um, Les Dawson, Ken Campbell. Uh, you also host the podcast Radio Hour. Yeah? Yes. So tell me about that. So that's the, that's the program I produce and present. So that's mm -hmm. the only time I'm actually uh, talking. <laughs> the rest yeah. of it is just production, really. Um, but the um, so podcast Radio Hour is a weekly show on BBC Radio Four Extra, and we basically round up a selection of podcasts on a theme and we kind of recommend them and you kind of talk about why they're good and speak to like interview the people that make them. So it's really interesting actually, because you get to listen to a lot of new stuff. You get to give a platform to stuff that maybe otherwise wouldn't get on the BBC. You get to hear lots of different voices, meet lots of new people. It's, um, it's a really interesting thing to work on. 
Um, mm-hmm. And there are so many podcasts. It is quite a lot of work. <laughs> mm. But um, yeah, it's it's quite nice to kind of have that mix of of stuff. And it's not all comedy, but there are, you know, there are so many comedy podcasts. Most comedians have a podcast. So yes. uh, they there's a lot of comedy featured as well. And we have co-hosts and things like that. So yeah, it's uh, it's a really interesting series to work on because there's just so many different elements to it. Yeah. Um, is it is it is it you know garden shed produced podcast as well as the slick professionally it's, produced? yeah it's all of it so you know we might pick a, a pick a theme and they can range from you know uh just basic like comedy funny podcast right through to like i've done ones on adoption and mental health and mm-hmm. we've done ones on pet themed podcasts and pub themed podcasts and things like that so uh, yeah, it varies really. I think if we can kind of find an interesting angle to collect a group of podcasts together, we can, uh, we can do it. And, um, the adoption one was actually quite interesting because I co-presented that with John Holmes who is adopted and he, uh, we spoke to Lem Sisse and Twana Main and Mark Steele. So it's all kind of comedy performers you know Lemsis is obviously an excellent poet but he's a performer and so it's quite an interesting thing because they're all adopted and they had all either appeared on podcasts or had their own podcasts or series about their childhoods and it was fascinating really so it had a comedy element to it but it was a serious subject and it was just this really lovely kind of warm very human episode it was it was great it was really lovely to kind of be a part of that and put that together I mean, everyone was everyone was great, but Mark Steele in particular, that interview is really funny. So, um, yeah, it's it's nice to kind of deal with trickier stuff, but have a kind of sense of humour about it. Really, true. Yeah, yeah. And tell me about the the shows that you've been involved, you know, producing. So you've, I know that you're a massive uh, Bonzo fan, and 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 you and Neil Innes, uh, you, yeah. you really got to know Neil quite well, didn't you? Yes. So one of the lovely things about Four Extra's schedule is on a Saturday, there is a space for like three hour deep dives into the archive. And again, you kind of put it together on a theme and you kind of see what the BBC archive can throw up of, you know, interesting unheard gems or, you know, things that maybe haven't been out since they were first broadcast sort of 40, 50 years ago or or whatever. Um, And because my specialist subject, I suppose, is comedy and, and comedy of an era i have made programs i've made three hour specials i made one about viv stanshaw uh who was the lead singer of the bonzos and mm-hmm. i made that with neil innes so that's where we met really that's where we first worked together um i have uh, made one about les dawson about ken campbell about barry humphreys at the end of 2020 i also made one about the life and work of neil innes so we worked together a fair bit we we um, made this special about Viv Stanchel and we, you know, got on so well when we were working together. Hmm. Uh, we stayed in touch and, you know, saw each other outside of work. And, um, yeah, he was, he was amazing and really very dear to me and very generous with advice early in my career. Um, and sort of really kind of taught me how to be creative in a way I perhaps wouldn't have been brave enough to do without that step, you know, actually yeah. kind of having confidence in, well, if I find it entertaining or interesting, it's probably worth following up. And, you know, just having that confidence of knowing what is funny and what will work and what will appeal to people. And he 
you know, I think he was, his whole career is a testament to his ability to try out new stuff and, you know, constantly try different angles and different sounds and different media and all of that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, he was, he was amazing. And it's, uh, I still can't quite get over the fact that I can say that I knew him and, um, yeah, it was an absolute honor to spend any time in his company, let alone quite a lot of time in his company. (laughs) There was sort of big outpourings of grief from just about everybody who knew Neil. It was just crazy, but lovely because at least we felt we were all together. The shock was huge. I was incredibly lucky. I had 54 years of Neil. It makes, cheers me up when I think of it like that. (laughs) He was really, really bright how he thought about the world and the links he made between things and the way he thought was astonishing to me as well, you know, and and yet I saw a lot of it, but he spent a lot of time thinking, which nobody does, except Neil did. He made that time because that's a whole part of what he was. He needed to know how he felt about things so he would sit and think about it and work it all out. He enjoyed his life and he gave so much to people and they gave it back to him in spades. He took everything from his life that he could get from it. He meant it. Relevant to this as well, Neil was a huge fan of the goons. So we we uh, we talked about those quite a lot. And um, yeah, it's uh, he, he was steeped in comedy tradition as well. Neil just seems so approachable and um, yes. a giving of his time. Um, and everything I've read about him has been has been, you know, what a great guy he was. And I always think of him whenever someone mentions Neil Innes, the first image that pops into my head is him in Holy Grail doing the yep. Brave Sir Robin. Song. Yes. <laughs> Bravely bold Sir Robin brought forth from Camelot. He was not afraid to die. Oh, brave Sir Robin. He was not at all afraid to be killed in nasty ways. Brave, 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 brave Sir Robin. He was not in the least bit scared to be mashed into a pulp Or to have his eyes gouged out and his elbows broken To have his kneecap split and his body burned away And his limbs all hacked and mangled, brave Sir Robin His head smashed in and his heart cut out and his liver removed And his bowels unplugged and his nostrils raped and his bottom burnt off and his penis... That's, that's, uh, that's enough music for now, lads. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, he worked so closely with Python and was, you know, in, in the films and in the series. Yeah, he, he was, he was a very interesting, very funny, uh, delightfully odd man, (laughs) like just a lovely way of thinking about things that, that is not the norm. And, um, yeah, I learned so much from just being around him. He, he was, he was incredible. Yeah, and, and I've heard you talk about him before and talk about the Bonzos in general. And they mm. didn't they didn't set out and they, they had no intention of being pop stars as such. No. You know, the, the the way their career went was that, you know, they were doing kind of mad shows at art school, which were kind of like art installations, and they had kind of lots of mad kind of sculptures and artworks and exploding robot mannequin things and, you know, all sorts of craziness on stage. So they had this, like very vibrant live show and then they were given a slot on do not adjust your set which was a kids tv show um in the 60s which had eric idol michael palin terry jones and also denise coffee and david jason in it and uh so they were like the musical act on that and so they did lots of like 
crazy turns where they did strange songs and um, very strange uh, sets and things like that. But they were just this kind of musical interlude in this comedy sketch show for kids. And that's where they met, you know, half the Pythons. And that's where Mm. that was where that kind of crossover came about. Mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll come back to to Neil and, and the guys, but what was Barry Humphreys like? Did you actually speak and deal with, did you meet Barry? Yeah, that was, yeah. Um, so the program was presented by Kathy Lett, who, uh, you, I mm. don't know if you know her. She's yes, a I do. Wonderful yeah. novelist um, and force of nature. <laughs> yes. um, and um, she is friends with Barry. So uh, she arranged for us to record the whole program in her kitchen and uh and barry was that was there so she we did a sort of feature length interview with him talking about his career um so yeah i got to spend an afternoon in the company of barry humphreys which was uh, wow. amazing absolutely yeah. amazing and again like you know just another <sighs> I, like what what's sort of so interesting about all these people and i think it's true of uh you know Sp- spike milligan as well it's like the, just the the way their minds work is not like anyone else <laughs> You know, the way they see the world and the way they think about things and the way they approach things is so different to, you know, the norm, the day to day kind of stuff. It's this constant searching for either the joke or the laugh or how to stop this being boring. (laughs) And it's so exciting to kind of actually witness that firsthand where it's just how do you bring conversation to life? How do you, uh, how do you entertain people? I suppose, um, and he, you know, Barry Humphreys was very much like that. So, you know, there, there, there were lots of jokes and lots of, uh, I was going to say lies, but you know, <laughs> deliberately. So, like, as in, kind of just um, messing with the truth in order to get a laugh and yeah. that kind of thing. But yeah. it's just, yeah, it was just fantastic to to see. So in that in that program, so it was a three hour special. So it was him kind of reflecting on these programs that we pulled out of the archive and like you know he's again a fascinating man and he has lots of interests and uh he is sort of very into the period of history of like weimar germany and that kind of thing so he uh he'd presented radio 4 documentaries about kind of cabaret in germany in the 20s and that kind of thing so there's lots of stuff like that so it was him kind of reflecting on that so obviously you know he's known for Dame Edna, which is obviously this incredible thing, but there's so many other interesting angles to him. And, you know, he's very into art and very into yes. different types of performance. And yeah, just another fascinating man to listen to. I, I wish I could remember. I, it must've been 30 years ago. I saw a documentary about Barry Humphreys. Mm. And the thing that, the only thing that sticks in my mind, I mean, I, I'm a, I was a fan, I'm a fan of a lot of his stuff, but yeah, he, told the story and he may have told this to you or you may be aware of this and I've got it I'm sure I've got it completely wrong but in my memory when he was growing up when he was a teenager in was it Melbourne Mm. Um, and he he told the story he used to go to this uh, local store once a week he and his friends and they would go to the storekeeper and they would ask to see a piece of soap that, that that was you know on display behind the counter yeah and the storekeeper would would reach and get the soap and put it on the counter and then barry and his friends would ooh and ah <laughs> at the soap and then say thank you very politely and leave okay <laughs> and, and and my memory is that he said every week 
they would go in and ask <laughs> to see the soap, right? And they sustain this for maybe maybe 12 months, okay? He said, and then he said the key to it was that then one week we went in and we didn't ask to see the soap. <laughs> and the storekeeper went mad and said, don't you want to see the soap? <laughs> and he said it was worth it for that. It's just playing such a long game. But that's yeah. the thing. It's just like, you know, how would how do you arrive at that? How do you set that <laughs> up? Like, you know, putting the effort into setting that up is... Um, I know, yeah. 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 But, um, <laughs> but, yeah, obviously you, you, we've touched very, very slightly on on the, the res of this podcast, which is, well, it's the goons or the goon show mm-hmm. and, and sellers seeking Milligan and Benteen and everything to do with them. And I invited you on, Laura, because I wanted to talk to you. Um, mm. <laughs> but, you know, I know that you have, um, you, you did grow up to a certain degree listening to the goons. How did you, because I gather you are um, the right side of 40 still. I don't want to be personal, <laughs> but you're... Um, yes, yes. You're, um, you're quite... Oh, I'm, very, I'm terribly young, terribly young. <laughs> you're terribly young. Um, so how, did, how the hell did you get into the Goon Show? Um, so growing up, um, I lived with my mum and my nan and my granddad, so her parents. So the, the And I was the only child, right. <laughs> which basically meant I was um, spoilt rotten with attention. <laughs> and I, I guess, you know, I don't think it was, it wasn't like a deliberate thing. I don't think anybody set out to kind of go, oh, you shall make a career of this. But I was just brought up watching and listening to comedy. So I, I vividly remember my nan sharing with me like the radio show she listened to as a kid so that would be the goon show round the horn much binding in the marsh things like that mm-hmm. and she would just she loved these things and loved silliness that was the thing and and uh you know she and my granddad were a good match he was a, he had a lovely silly sense of humor um and liked all of these same things and then similarly my mum uh also kind of shared with me the stuff she watched when she was younger so she brought me up watching python and you know that then led to kind of the bonzos and and that kind of thing so mm-hmm. um yeah it was just there was no i i there was never a point in my life where like i can't remember having not been aware of who Spike Milligan was, who Peter Sellers was, who Harry Seacon was, who the Pythons were. I they they were just there. They were always part of my like this is this is what the good people like. This is this is funny. This is what comedy is. <laughs> um and it's there's a lot to be said, I think, for that grounding because it just gave me the feeling that comedy is you know, it it doesn't have to be serious. It doesn't have to be satirical. I, it, it can just be stupid. It can it can kind of have a point and make it in a very silly way, or it can have no point and just be silly, and that's funny too. And I think this joy of enjoying yourself and sharing that with other people as a means of making them laugh is kind of what I got from listening to that. And actually, 
I mean, what I <laughs> I have it sitting next to me, and I've, I have talked about this on Radio Four Extra before, but um, I actually have the uh, the vinyl uh, Decca Records 1957 copy of the Ying Tong song uh, okay. with the B side of "I'm Walking Back for That Was for Christmas," which was uh, my nan's, and yes. I played this. Um, you know, on those radio shows I used to make, but I, I played this so much as a kid and I can still, uh, you know, I still know all of the words and all of the mad beats and everything it takes, like the journey it takes you on. Um, and it's one of my most treasured <laughs> possessions, really. I, I still have this, uh, oh. this um, tiny, tiny Ying Tong Song record. Um, if I show you, there you go. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's yeah, fantastic. <laughs> so it's in its original in its original wrapping and everything. Beautiful. Um, yeah. So this is yeah, this is my childhood. This this <laughs> yes, uh, this record. It's um yeah, I I listen to it so often. Yes, no. for Christmas across the Irish Sea. I'm walking backwards for Christmas. It's the only thing for me. I've tried walking sideways and walking to the front, but people just look at me and say to Papa Stilistan, I'm walking backwards for Christmas to prove that I would you say because <clears throat> obviously the goon show can can claim to be influenced by things like the marx brothers and people have read you know seen edward lear and lewis carroll influences and even even things like hollywood cartoons have influenced yeah. the goon show but would you say it is What's the word? What the Goon Show was year zero for British comedy in a way. It does kind of feel like that, and I think the the reason it feels like that, um, well, it's po possibly because it's partly true. But um, you know, obviously, nothing is like. There's no new ideas, are there? It's all kind of no. <laughs> everything comes from somewhere. But I think the reason it feels like it's true is because because of Python and they. Or, or, you know, all of them, and and then also the the Bonzos as well, and and Neil, they all talk about hearing the Goon Show for the first time and it blowing their minds. It just being this chaotic, anarchic fun, <laughs> like actual fun, and everything was so prim and proper, and this is how you are, and this is how we need to be, and the, you know, yep. uh, I, I, Neil always described it as like women in head headscarves dressed like the Queen, and it's like, you know, everybody <laughs> was very prim and you know all very proper, and this is this is this is what we have to be, and the goons weren't that, and then that made the Pythons not that, and it made the Bonzos not that because it just showed this other way and as i was sort of saying the the joy in that you know if if you if that if, if that tickles you <laughs> if that does make you laugh the, it's just complete unabashed joy and yes. so then you, you if you can kind of run with that feeling of well we're going to make entertainment that is joyful silly you know 
let's just escape the horrors of the world, which obviously was a huge thing for for Spike. You know, that's a lot of his comedy was about, you know, not either dealing head on with the awfulness or avoiding the awfulness. That's what that's what drove him to write his comedy. And yeah, you can kind of you can hear that in the way they talk about war and army generals and those proper people you know those proper people are the bad people They're, those proper people are the ones who get us into trouble and that's mm-hmm. a message that still rings true today Ooh, so yes. <laughs> it's um you know th- these are all things that kind of fed into python and then obviously you know i there are very few you know famous modern comics who who don't cite python as an influence it's it's just that showing that there is another way and if Python showed people that, it's because of the goons. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, the goons were, I'm not going to say revolutionary, but but in terms of radio comedy in Britain in the 50s, having not really having, you know, having a beginning, having a middle sometimes, not really mm. having an end <laughs> and and things just exploded. And Python really ran with that, not yeah. really having an end to things. <laughs> well, the, um, the goons would punctuate a, a, a sequence with an explosion or... Uh... Yeah, but that, that's also why the goons sh- sounded like nothing else that had been before, because of the sound effects. The, 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 the actual, you know, the radio nerdery available in, in listening to the particularly early series of the goons, it, it was like nothing else. Nobody used radio and sound as well as they did it you know they they took you on a journey and it's you know the beauty of radio is you know unlike telly you don't actually have to be in the place you are you can create these worlds with sounds and they really did that in in a quite a magical way really you, you know it was like it was genuinely like nothing else before it um and it just opened up this world of possibility of like well we can we can do anything with sound really we can make anything happen we can say we're anywhere we can create any kind of world Meantime, back at the camp, the, the German POW camp. That's an abbreviation of prisoner war. I say POW, so it saves the necessity of saying prisoner war. It's much shorter. It takes less time. <laughs> at this camp, we were having a party. We'd completed the bridge, and all the lads were having a sing-song to celebrate. Thank you, men. Well, as you can see, we've taught our captors how we English can build a wooden bridge over a water river. So let us stand, raise our right legs, and sing our national anthem. A few years ago on the Radio 4 Extra Comedy Club, which is every night from 10 till midnight, and we have some kind of more recent, so not not your classic comedies, but more recent radio comedies from like the last sort of 30 years or so. And it's presented by comedians. So we have a great range of comics who present on there, like Izzy Sooty and John Holmes and uh, Jessica Fosterkew and Jake Yap and lots of other lovely people. I'm not going to list all of them. Um, But they... um, a few years ago, Jake and I did a Goon Show special in the comedy club where we rebroadcast uh, a couple of our favourite episodes. Um, and we were really lucky enough to interview Norma Farns, who was Spike's 
agent. Yes. Uh, uh, and Eric Sykes's agent, and uh, another one of those force of nature kind of people. She, yeah. Um, yeah, she was brilliant. She was full of stories, and uh, it's actually available. You can listen to the interview on BBC Sounds if you if you want to go and f- seek it out. Oh, it's um, on there still, is it? It oh, is right. on there still. Yeah. <laughs> um, Great. But yeah, so Jake and I were kind of lucky enough to to chat to her for that, which was amazing because she she was she was brilliant and she invited us to the London performance of the Goon Show tour, which um, was a, re, a recreation of a Goon Show recording. So that it was yeah. a it was a live performance of, of one of the scripts or a couple of the scripts. Um, and then afterwards, there was a Q and A which Jake hosted, uh, and the guests were Norma and uh, Jane Milligan and Eddie Izzard. Oh, so wow. it was just a, a wonderful evening of kind of goon show fandom and inside stories and all of this kind of stuff. So it was an amazing opportunity. And that all came about because we had such a lovely time chatting to Norma on the comedy club. Um, and I just went along, watched it. I just went along for the ride. But um, yeah, it was, it was great. So, it was, you know, what what's so amazing about this job is just getting to actually meet these people that have been involved in some of the most important and formative things in my life. It's it's incredible to just actually get to hear stories and hear them tell those stories. It's it's amazing. Um, yes. And you know, it's nice to kind of record them and put them on the radio so other people can enjoy them too. I was really curious. Well, first of all, let's talk about the Goon Show because you, you you can tell us about how it came to be. It was a man called Roy Spear, and he was a producer at the BBC. And he liked the idea with the four of them and thought they were quite talented. And he arranged for them to do a pilot. The pilot was called Sellers Castle. And they were hoped that Roy was going to be the producer. And they brought somebody in called Jacques Brown, who wasn't on the wavelengths at all, and was anti-studio audiences for comedy. Oh. They, okay, they would do it without the audience, right. but it wouldn't be heard by the planners until the four boys got together and decided whether it was good or bad. Yes. He made this pact, but he went back on his word. Oh. And the planners said it was bloody awful, and you know. Um... So, do you, are there any particular Goon Show episodes or characters that stick in your mind, or even sequences from shows that you know, you're particularly fond of? <laughs> There's so there's so much. I, I, do you know what? I don't even think I can be specific, which is possibly not helpful. I just because I listened to so much of it as a kid, um, it it almost like it sort of washed over me in a in a way that I I just sort of immersed myself in it and and enjoyed it and uh, you know it kind of it, it's just always been there for me. And then when I started working at well, what was BBC Seven and it's now Radio 4 Extra, and the goons were on it, it just felt so right. <laughs> and it was such a, you know, it was, it was, it felt like coming home almost. It was like so lovely to kind of have this place where classic comedy is still available to listen to. And, you know, we, we, we broadcast them, you know, the, the, the series regularly because it's one of those classic comedies that, deserves to be to be heard and it's like you know like round the horn like hancock it's it it's important it's actually an important part of our cultural history i think um so yeah. i love that radio 4 extra is the home of it yeah yeah do you, do you know just on that i mean i'd like to talk about 
like you say, Radio 4, which would be in the home of classic comedy. And mm. uh, and how, what sort of listening figures do you get for things like The Goon Show, for things like Hancock, things like that? So they, the classic comedy, the classic comedies are one of the most listened to things on the network. So mm. there is still an audience there. I mean, you know, we have to be kind of careful with some of the things because uh, a lot of it is of its time, shall we say. Yep. As I say, it's part of British culture. It's, it is a sort of foundation block really and so it's important to actually still have access to it um and these things can be kind of set up as uh, uh, you can kind of contextualize them and give their place in history and and talk about you know their influence on modern comedy because modern comedy wouldn't be as it is without these programs um so yeah they, there is definitely an audience out there for it because it, it, it's one of the most listened to things on four extra so and, and look, I know that um, the Goon Show over the years has has been. I mean, even when it, you know, when it went out, it was edited for overseas sales, and mm-hmm. bits were taken out, um, and sometimes bits were put back in in later years. Yeah, and and it, 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 you know, even the commercial releases in the in the sixties, they would take the music out, so it's always being. It's a word filleted, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, and there are. You know, when I was growing up, listening to it as a teenager, at that time, there were there were sometimes sequences or lines or characters in the show which were, were completely, to me at the time, innocuous. But you listen back now, and you kind of think, "Oh no, it's you know, it, time has moved on now." And yeah. I'm not I'm not saying that this is um, what you guys would would do it for extra, but you know, I know that 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 a lot of people who are sort of diehard fans of classic comedy sometimes get annoyed when radio stations or broadcasters <laughs> tamp what they what they perceive as tamper with the classics yeah okay and what i would say to that is um if you know fine everything is out there available in some shape or form and if you if you want to in the case of you know i don't know an, an old classic television series you might buy the dvd you've invited that into your home in a sense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it's uncut, that's all well and good because you know, you've taken the choice to bring that into your home and screen it. The same goes for a CD of, you know, radio comedy. Um, yeah. But the but something that's going out on the radio, you've got no control over that. And, it, and you don't yeah, know it's broadcasting. The it's very broadcasting. word itself is broadcasting. That's the that's the thing. And, it, you know, the, my my feeling on it is and this is me talking as me, not as a representative of the BBC, just sure. to, <laughs> yes. um, but I kind of feel like with something like The Goon Show, there is there are some things that are, and I will politely say, of their time. There are some things that now are just not okay and not funny. And I think it would be a real shame, given that 4Extra does have this platform to share these classic comedies and, you know, possibly show them to, or share them with new audiences. Um, I, I can't see the harm in removing things that would make them completely unpalatable to a new audience when you're actually, a, when you're able to share the kind of joy and the groundbreaking nature of, you know, the use of audio and the, the, the writing, you know, some, some of, some of the Goon Show is just utterly brilliant and the best examples of, of comedy. If you can share that with a new audience by slightly tweaking it so that it's not completely unpalatable to, to a modern audience or to new audiences, I don't see why you wouldn't do that. Sure. Yeah. Good. So, uh, 
yeah, moving on. <laughs> <That's the point. laughs> um, in terms of Python and and you, you got into Python through your mum. Yeah, it, I, I suppose there was sort of a thing of like, Python felt, and this makes me sound really old, but Python felt kind of new and it was still happening. The people were still around, still working. Yeah. Whereas I think the Goon Show felt like a historical thing. So while I listened to it and I loved it and, you know, I was, I, I was very aware of how influential and important it was. I think in terms of active fandom, <laughs> I got carried along with the Pythons. So I think that's what happened. But obviously, you know, the nature of my job, but also uh, dipping into listening to the Goon Show. And uh, I mean, Spike's poetry as well is a thing mm. I, I, you know, I have, I have some of his collected poems and things like that. You know, I, I've always, I, I know I keep saying this, but they've just always been there. Yeah. <laughs> they've always been there. And I, uh, I, I love that. I'm very grateful that that is true. And what I like is as I've met people and worked with people and, you know, cultivated relationships with various brilliantly talented people, we have this shared thing that covers the goons and Python and this sort of shared that fandom thing. And when I worked with Neil Innes, we had this shared thing with the goons and, and the joy of the goons and, and how great it was. And also, uh, there's no way of saying this without sounding like I'm just name dropping, but I, um, Go on. we, we worked, um, one of the programs we made, we had Terry Gilliam as a guest and the three of us went out for lunch after we recorded, which is one of the just most ridiculous and joyous things wow. that's ever happened to me. Yeah. And, um, at, at that lunch, we were talking about the goons and how, how incredible it was and how mind blowing it was and how that kind of, you know, without the goons, there wouldn't have been Python and without Python, there wouldn't be comedy here and in and in America, really, like, you know, it, it influenced everything. So yeah, it's, it's so important. And um, when I, I, I went, I st stayed with Neil in France uh, a few years ago, and he found out that I hadn't seen Doctor. we were trying to find a film to watch. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and I said, I had, he was suggesting films. And I said, Oh, I, I hadn't seen Doctor Strangelove. And so he made us watch it. <laughs> so, so my experience of watching Dr. Strangelove was in Neil Innes's living room, <laughs> um, oh, wow. which is, uh, which is great. It's, you know, I have a, I, I would have a great affection for that film anyway, because it's funny and it's silly and it's ridiculous, but also just to add that layer to it in my life is, uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I'll I, stop uh, name dropping now. <laughs> it's all right. What was Terry like in general? How did he was he was he just just full of stories or was he you know did you yeah, have to sort of draw, so, draw, draw him no, out of himself? No, he was so alive, you know, like so just exciting and interested, and the conversation was so wide ranging and it darted all over the place, and uh, you know he. He was kind of angry, like angry about the state of the world and politics and all of that, which is something yeah. Neil also was and something I also am. So it's um, yeah, yeah, it was it was very um, yeah alive. I think is the is the word. It's just, it was so kind of fast paced conversation. It was it was amazing. It was really amazing. I don't think I'd have been able to keep up. I think I did open. just watch for a little bit, to be honest. But um, <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it's just one of those things where you go, I can't, 
I can't pass up this opportunity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what about Ken Campbell? You did a, a, a three-hour show on Ken Campbell? I did. So I never met Ken Campbell. Um, and this came about, so I uh, worked with Diane Morgan uh, a lot. Yep. Um, so she she presented the program I made about Neil's life and work. Um, mm -hmm. And we'd done a couple of other uh programs together we've known each other quite a while we've actually used to go and uh see the bonzos together and things like that so you know we we've uh, oh, okay. we've known each other for ages and she uh worked with ken campbell her first acting job was in the warp ken campbell's 24-hour uh play mm. and so she met him loved him and wanted to you know, wanted to, to celebrate him in the way that I had done with the things that I loved. And so we we made it together. So this, you know, the Ken Campbell one wasn't my, it wasn't my personal project, if you see what I mean, like the other things. Yes. Like Les Dawson and the Bonzos and stuff were like my personal loves. But um, yeah, this was Diane's you know re request if you like and it was a it was such an incredible journey that we went on um and we interviewed uh nina conti and just had this you know incredible so because she adored him and she has all of his ventriloquist dummies now and <laughs> he changed her life like you know completely changed the course of her life and career so it's it was just a, an incredible thing to hear her talk about him with such love and affection and emotion mm. um but again he's just he is another one of those people that thinks about things in a completely different way that had this approach to life that was you know not like anybody else it was always trying to be different trying to where's the fun Do, you know and diane said that when he was directing her and things and 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 this has been backed up by other people it's like do whatever you want but don't be boring <laughs> it's like it's that it's just like don't bore me like whatever you're gonna do entertain me this is entertainment if, if we're not having fun we're doing it wrong to to quote Neil Innes it's like that's you know that's the point of all of this if we're working in comedy we're working in entertainment we should be having fun yeah if you're not yeah if you're not you're doing it wrong um <laughs> And yeah, Ken Campbell definitely had that sort of an attitude. Um, and yeah, yeah that, again, just fascinating stories about a fascinating man. Yeah, we, we've discussed Ken Campbell on this show before. Mm. Um, one of those pioneering entertainers who were on the sort of fringe of fame. One of those recognizable faces, but people can't really put a name to that they'd have seen yeah. on that they'll have seen in that episode of Faulty Towers and um, yes and it was Elf Garnet's neighbor and mm -hmm. but that's it um but, but there's just realize... so much more to him than that yeah and yeah the the pursuit of like or, or, or the way he kind of taught people how to improvise and like accessing the lizard brain where you don't think about what you're doing you feel it and you are it and you immerse yourself in it and it's just a completely different way of performing and yeah, it's, fa it's fascinating. And it's fascinating to hear the people that he taught or mentored uh, kind of talk about how it just changes how they do things and therefore it changes the opportunities that they've had and the things that they've done. Um, yeah, Absolutely, it's yeah. It, it, the, the power of, of these sorts of people is, is incredible. Yeah, and one of the, the, this is one of the great things about doing this podcast is that 
yes, as you know, we'll talk about the goons, goons and we'll talk about Sellers and Mulligan and whatnot, but but as with our conversation today, it will spin off and we'll talk about other people who have been hugely influential figures in terms of mm. the world of British comedy or comedy in general. And and someone like Ken Campbell is is right up there. Um, yeah. I'm thinking we've, you know, I've had um Michael Livesley on previously who um yeah do you know do you know Michael? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um who'd worked with the Bonzos and you know he was talking about Bruce Lacey. Yeah. Um and and um, people like that. And it's a shame that these people aren't celebrated anymore or aren't weren't even celebrated to a huge extent in their lifetimes. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I quite like that for extras use of the BBC archive and kind mm. of rebroadcasting these things does, it's just kind of sharing those people that had the, a huge effect on the people around them and kind of sharing their stories and their life and work. It's, it, I think it's a, it's a good thing to do really. Do you have an opinion on, on radio comedy now or over the last sort of 20 years? Do you, <laughs> do you, do you, do you have uh, a, an opinion either way? Um, I mean, that, that sounds like that there, there can only be one opinion. <laughs> mm. um, Cause you know, I think there's a, there's a thing on for extra, like, you know, we have a classic comedy hour every day and some of the classic comedies are genuine bona fide classic comedies and they absolutely should be rebroadcast. They should be rebroadcast re regularly. We should ha have regular opportunities to hear the blood donor or, you know, whatever, like Hancock round the horn, these, and the goons, these incredible, uh, groundbreaking series. But then there are some comedies that are just old <laughs> and yeah. that's maybe not enough. <laughs> and that that's true. That's true then. And it's true now. So some radio comedy now, is brilliant. There are some brilliant things on. There are also some not great things, but that's sort of the point of comedy because True. yeah, comedy is subjective. I'm sure some people don't like the things I like and some people will uh, like the things I don't like. And people's sense of humor does vary wildly. And I think people, there should be sort of available comedy for for everybody on the radio so you know there's some stuff i really like there's some stuff i don't really like and that should be true of everybody and that would be true of the comedy commissioner and comedy producers uh, everywhere um yeah there's that there's that tedious argument that people uh people on um forums always well <laughs> bang on yeah. about um the golden age of comedy or the golden age of tv or whatever it may be forgetting that 80 85 percent of it was forgot was forgettable is yeah was was, was always yeah yeah was disposable and, yeah i mean what what is great about comedy now is it it's diversified massively so there are there are so many different possible platforms for people to find their voice to find what they want to say and how they want to say it and work all that stuff out uh there's so many different opportunities available it's not just radio anymore and it's not just telly anymore and it's not just white men anymore. <laughs> so it's, and that, that's a good thing. That's a great thing. There are so many brilliant comics uh, that you, you know, pr probably wouldn't have had an opportunity during this so-called golden yeah. age of comedy. 
do you think there's too much stuff now <laughs> do you think there's <laughs> too much choice in terms of well, I, I kind of said that at the beginning like when you know we were talking about me doing podcast radio hour and rounding yeah. all that stuff up there there is so much stuff yes and it and I think it would be I think it is probably impossible to even listen to all the stuff you like I think there is too much stuff but the thing is I think things do find their audience so yeah I you know I, I don't think it's a bad thing I think what the problem is is that you know institutions haven't really caught up with funding the different elements that are available to people so there are places where the money is to fund things and budget for things and there is there are you know places where you can create stuff but you perhaps won't get paid for it yeah so mm. um yeah just I'm just asking because I, I obviously I love comedy Mm. And it's been, and I don't really, I'm, I've not really kept my finger on the pulse of modern comedy, I suppose, for want of a better phrase. Um, all the comedy, so I'll watch things like Inside Number Nine or, yeah. or the, you know, the recent Partridge series, because it's comforting. It's something that I'm, it's people that I'm aware of, if you like, but it's really difficult for me to discover new comedy not difficult it's just I don't I, I don't listen to the radio as much as I used to I'll be honest because mm -hmm. podcasts have taken over um yeah and whereas I used to listen to radio for all the time in the you know 20 years ago I'm sorry I have a clue I've been listening to um Marcus Brigstock's show what was it uh, Giles Wembley Hogg and things like that mm -hmm. I discovered things like that through listening to the radio but but it's you know last 10 years even 15 years I think the last comedy series that I actually discovered purely by accident and just howled with laughter within minutes of discovering it was I was flicking through channels about I don't know five years ago and uh, Toast of London was on yeah Beezus Wiffen was a pseudonym sometimes used by a rival of mine a total prat by the name of Ray Purchase. Um, but yeah, it's difficult now to to kind of get a foothold in terms of comedy and in terms of, I, I listened to John Finnemore's Souvenir Programme. I thought that was excellent. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that that's about it really. But the thing is that, you know, there is a, there's a lot of good stuff available and there's a lot of good stuff available just online. And you kind of say that you listen to podcasts rather than the radio, but it's mm. like, well, you're still listening. It's still, it is still that, medium that intimate direct medium it is still the playing with sound thing and so you know i think i think it's a huge time of quite rapid change in terms of broadcasting um because of the internet and so people have a platform that they can use to kind of share their stuff and share their creativity that isn't necessarily making it to telly or to broadcast radio but mm. podcasting means that people can just go out there and do it and it's like well why wouldn't you go out there and do it if you if you have faith in your idea you have an idea you should go out there and do it so yeah it's 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 hard because there is so much stuff and there's a lot of noise and I think there's probably just as many creators as there are listeners now yeah <laughs> but, yes that's you know thing. I think I think you know, the, the rapid change will mean that broadcasters have to kind of work out how their, what, what their model is really. Mm, mm. Um, because I think it's absolutely valid that all of these things are available and that people who have 
something to say, get to say it and <laughs> say it in a way that they want. Um, and hopefully they'll find their voice and they will find their audience and they will maybe find other people that they can work with and make it better and that kind of thing. I think listening, you know, podcasts and, and radio, it's very intimate and it is very, you know, it's very personal and actually inviting somebody to speak directly into your ears is sort of quite, it's quite an honor to, to have that opportunity. So it's, you know, I think it's nice that people have the opportunity to kind of put their ideas and make them happen. Absolutely, because I've met so many people through in the last 12 months just through, through doing this, through mm. them either being guests on the show, who, you know, people that I've met on social media who've said, I really dig the show and I'd like, you know, or, or, or you know, either invited themselves on or I've invited them on or whatever. And also people that, you know, have just said, look, I'm quite happy just to listen, but have contributed in terms of, you know, feedback and comments and mm. and information and all sorts of stuff so it's it's amazing and it really you know it's really it's a really great creative outlet and and probably within 12 months every second person in the world will have a podcast yeah um, <laughs> but so what <laughs> yeah yeah I you know I think things will find their audience or they won't and people will stop it or change it or whatever but it's like I you know I think that's the beauty of podcasting is that it is open to everybody and you know there are some incredible like independent sketch comedy podcasts that are happening that aren't funded by anybody that people are just doing because they have these funny ideas and they want to share them mm-hmm. and there's some really good stuff out there so it's like I don't know. I think it's good that people can kind of make stuff and kind of show what they can do. Cause then it also means that, you know, broadcasters can have something concrete to base a, a commission on or something like that. It's um, yeah. yeah, I think it's good. I think it's so, good so that it, people have that opportunity. It's a testing ground in some ways, isn't it? Yeah. And, and if people want to hear this sort of thing, then they can listen to things like podcast radio hour. We're actually doing a live uh, episode, uh, not broadcast live, but we're doing it in front of an audience at the podcast right. show next mm-hmm. week. But that may not, I don't know when this is going out, but that may have already happened. Okay. Well, thank you again. I'm so, I hope it hasn't been too much of a um, hair raising experience for you. No, not um, at all. It's been absolutely lovely to talk to you. <laughs> right. Thank you so much, Tyler. Thanks again to Laura. Thanks for listening. Please follow on Twitter. It's at GoonShowPod. Please rate and review on iTunes and on Spotify. I think you can do that now as well. And uh, just spread the word. I have, uh, what, um, 50, nearly 60 shows in the archive. They're all available. So if you haven't listened to those, please go back and seek them out. And I will be back next week with uh, another show, which I think is going to be about a film. So look out for that. Anyway, in the meantime, take care of yourselves. See you soon. Bye.